The Secrets of Doctor Who is brought to you by the Star Quest Production Network and is made possible by our many generous patrons. If you'd like to support the podcast, please visit sqpn.com slash give. You're listening to The Secrets of Doctor Who, episode 168. All of this is new to you and new can be scary. When people need help, I never refuse. There's this moment when you're sure you're about to die, and then you're born. I know exactly who I am. I'm the doctor. Ta-da! Ooh. Should be fine. Hi, I'm Don Bettinelli, and you're listening to The Secrets of Doctor Who, where we discuss everything about the hit BBC series, Doctor Who. And today we're discussing our retrospective, our look back, on the just-completed Series 12 of Doctor Who featuring the 13th Doctor, Jodie Whittaker. And joining me today on the panel are Father Corey Stika. Hi, Father Corey. How's it going, Dom? Very well, thanks. And Jimmy Aiken. Hi, Jimmy. Howdy, Dom. Uh, folks, if you can, I would greatly appreciate it if you would write a review for, uh, for us on Apple Podcasts, wherever you get your podcasts from, of The Secrets of Doctor Who. We really appreciate that. It not only does it make us feel good, but that's not the primary reason, although that's a good reason. Uh, it also helps uh, get the show in front of more listeners and people see that and they say, hey, that might be something I'd be interested in listening to. And when you share the show with your friends, that really helps as well. Uh, uh, even though Series 12 is, is done for now, there's still the, the Christmas slash New Year's episode coming. Uh, we've got a lot of Doctor Who to talk about. We're going through, continuing our, our, our trip through the classic series and the uh, 10th Doctor time period. And we've got a retrospective on the, the Russell T Davies era coming up. So there's a lot to, to talk about with Doctor Who. And uh, so we'd love to have you with us. Uh, frankly, gentlemen, I wish I had a TARDIS and I could go back about oh, three months and let myself know of some things that need to be done in the spring of 2020 <laughs> ahead of time. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> exactly. would be handy, wouldn't it? Yes. Or maybe skip ahead a few months or a year or so uh, to see how things turn out. But that that's yeah, it. You could go forward, get a nice vaccine, come back, have a neat bootstrap paradox. <laughs> there, there you, you go. go. <laughs> that it actually reminds me of an episode from this past season. So let's talk about the series twelve. And uh, first, I, I want to see from you guys what what your an overall assessment of the season. Not a, a well, we'll talk about a comparison from this season to last and our favorite and least favorite episodes from the season. But just sort of a very brief overall assessment how how successful do you think this season was what did you think of this season father Corey? why don't we start with you what did what's your overall assessment i i really like this uh this ep this season as a whole i mean there's there's one episode i was i thought was bad one episode i really didn't like and the rest i really enjoyed um i thought you know there was just a lot that was really well up well done with this season. The only only thing that kind of annoyed me a little bit about it wasn't until episode seven that we actually left Earth, even for just a little while. Mm -hmm. And then episode nine is when we actually had two episodes that had nothing to do with Earth. But otherwise, I really, really enjoyed this episode, the season. I keep wanting to say episode this season. How about you, Jimmy? I thought it was a big step up from last season on balance. I thought it was a good season. Um, it may, in hindsight, be better, higher as a season in my mind than some of the Peter Capaldi seasons. But it really needed to be better than last season. Last season was so uh, blah that <laughs> I was losing interest in the show. And this reengaged me. Okay. I would agree. I agree that this season was a step up. Last season had its 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 high points. It had more low points. Uh, than the, than this season. This season had 
more high points than low points and sets us up for a very interesting future uh, in the coming seasons. So I think it did really well. So uh, let's let's move into that comparison from this season to last season a little more specifically. Um, what was wrong with last season that this season fixed, do you think? Well, I, you know, I, I think a couple of things is, you know, just the number of bad episodes last season. I mean, last season was really rough. It was, uh, you know, there, there last season, there were, you know, there were a couple of good episodes. There was, but not a lot. There was the character development last season was pretty weak. I mean, we really didn't talk about the companions much last season. Apart from Graham. Um, this season, at least <laughs> at least one companion in particular, which we'll talk about in a little bit, really yep. kind of stood out uh, compared to last season. Uh, I, I do think um, Jodie Whittaker is a little more comfortable in her skin as the doctor this season compared to last. And I think that helps a lot, too. I thought last season was way preachier than this one. It had more bad episodes. It also didn't have any good, really engaging episodes. Even the better ones didn't hit the highs that this season did. Um, in terms of the characters, the doctor did what she needed to do, which was be uh, pleasant. Um, you know, after the abrasive Peter Capaldi, we needed a pleasant doctor. And she achieved that. And that was it. She was otherwise flat as a character. And here we got to see her becoming more of an intriguing character, which she could have been last season, and they just didn't write her that way. Uh, so the doctor herself was more intriguing, more take charge. Um, this season was less preachy, had fewer bad episodes. I, I would agree. I think the this season had better villains, certainly one prominent one. Yes. Uh, it, it in addition to what you guys said about the doctor being a better, more well-rounded, more depth to her character, um, the, and the companions getting more. But I think the the villains that they had faced were better overall. Some of them were less less good, but uh, but we having some of the classic villains back when when they had said for last season, well, we're not doing them. We're doing new, all new villains. Well, seeing the Cybermen, the uh, Daleks, we did see a Dalek and last the, the end of last season with the new year's episode but daleks um the, the fugitive the jadoon you know that we had the jadoon in it uh so we we did get some of these and of course the master which uh we'll talk about him specifically in a bit but but getting him back as well to me it wasn't as much the villains um i i mean the villain it's not the fact that we have classic villains back this time i don't need those connections if you give me an intriguing villain I'll be on board with it. Uh, but I'm not particularly wild to see the Daleks on any given occasion. I'm not particularly wild to see the Cybermen. I'm certainly not wild to see the Jadoon. The only person, the only classic villain that really makes me interested to see what they're going to do is the Master. And so that was a plus, but just the the antagonists last season were, were I mean, Tim Shaw was not that, he was just unpleasant. Yeah. Um, and the Patang was cute, but that's kind of a one-off concept. Future space racist, I found very implausible. And a lot of the rest were just like random things, like the rags, the floating rags from the ghost monument and, and stuff. It's like King eh, James. There's like, <laughs> King James. There's not a lot there. Yeah. Uh, the the What I liked with the bringing back the villains is they brought them back, in, uh, uh, especially the Cybermen and the Master, in interesting ways. That they, they that they mm -hmm. didn't just drop them in yeah. again, but 
the Cybermen became interesting again. There was a new new twist on them that was made sense. For me, the lone Cyberman was a good yeah. addition. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. Uh, all right. So that's an interesting comparison to last season or this season. Let's talk more about this season. And, you know, the obvious first step is uh, we could rate them, but some of that's usually arbitrary. So let's just talk about our favorite episodes and our least favorite. Episodes. Let's start. Let's start with the easy one. Your least favorite episode, Father Can Corey. Can we just do a, on <laughs> to three, one, two, three, Orphan 55? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, I think we're all in agreement. Orphan 55, Jimmy, was that your least yeah. favorite? Oh, very definitely. Orphan yeah. 55 was the worst episode of this season. Okay. Yeah, I agree. Uh, I mean, we we went over that in our Orphan 55 episode. It was way too preachy, way breaking the fourth wall preachy. Uh, the the uh, There were too many elements that didn't work. There were aspects of it that could have been good, but yeah, it just didn't work. Um, how about your f- and, and, yeah. and 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 it's not just us. It, this is across fandom. Even oh, you yeah. know, I, I've been monitoring other Doctor Who you know commentators, and it seems that everybody thought Orphan Fifty Five was the worst episode of the season. Yeah, even those who are sitting there saying the message is good, the way they did it sucked. <laughs> right, you know, even right. people are saying yeah. that where they agree with the message, but it's just like this episode was just bad. Period. And it's not just the YouTube hater trolls who hate everything. It's no, yeah, everybody. No. Uh, everybody I, I would say and and so the, since that's a given i would say my second least favorite was um praxius uh yeah i agree with that because it was almost as bad <laughs> preachy uh but not quite as bad but uh yeah almost as yeah, bad and now when it, at least they didn't break the fourth wall but it was still another message episode and note yeah. that and it was and, and it's an unsubtle message episode it's not like the green death from the third right. doctor's time, which was a message episode, but they they coded it in in such a way that it gives you something interesting to think about. And you have to think for a minute, what are they talking about here in real world terms, as opposed to just let's talk about it in real world terms. And it's completely unsubtle. Right. Plastic in the ocean. All right. So then, then this, I think, is a harder question because I had to think about this for a bit because there are some competitors for be- most favorite episode. So, Father Corey, what was your favorite episode this season I, I think jimmy will probably disagree with me on this but actually one of my my favorite episode was the jadoon the fugitive of the jadoon first of all because i think they actually played the jadoon much better than they had appeared during the russell t davies era mm-hmm. you know they actually were you know more fleshed out characters they weren't just su- silly people in costumes saying oh at the end of every sentence or every word um i think i think there was that there's a lot more to it and then, of course, there was the spin. There was, the, you know, the the twist where, you know, all of a Dr. sudden, Ruth. this, this yeah. Ki- yeah, Dr. Ruth showing up, um, you know, and I, I, that really kind of, which, of course, set up the rest of the season as well. But yeah. I, I, I actually, I mean, I thought it was a good episode before the twist. And then once that hit, that made it all the more compelling. So that's actually why I consider it my favorite. For So for me, I had certain episodes that were my favorites. There were the standout episodes for me, and that included Spyfall Part 1 and 2. Um, also, uh, The Haunting of uh, Vio Diodati and the, the three-part ending, uh, Haunting of Vio Diodati, Ascension of the Cybermen and the Timeless Children. But for me, the favorite was Fugitive of the Jadoon. Um, I agree with Father Corey that the Judoon were handled better here than they have been, except their very first appearance. This was kind of a return to form of them of being the space renicops. Um, and so I did like the way they were handled there. The, the main thing, though, is the twist. 
Um, I mean, we get to meet Ruth, we get to meet her husband, we get to like them both. And then wham, she's the doctor. And there's that police box Um, that that made the, the fact I didn't know for a fact that's what was coming was what really set that one apart and made it the best of the season for me. I then second best timeless children where we get confirmation that yes all this stuff that i've thought for years based on the various clues that have been dropped it's there have adopted it all as canonical uh i like timeless children and then below that spyfall with the revelation of the master i had the same three uh, that i was weighing in and at in the in the few minutes i sat you know trying to figure this out I, each one bubbled up to the top and I, it's so it's really a toss-up for me but yeah a future jejun with the Dr. Ruth, the Timeless Children, with all of that was revealed. Uh, but I ended up picking Sky, uh, Skyfall, Spyfall, uh, mm. and I part one and two. Really, it's it's one story. Mm-hmm. And I, I think as I look back, I think it was because of the reintroduction of the Master and and Sasha Dewan's very good portrayal of it, and how surprised I was that he was the Master. That 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 really. I love when a show can surprise me and really, you know, give me a, a, a whoa moment where I don't see it coming. And I really enjoyed that. And uh, I, I and I think partly because I was so worried, is this season going to be any better than last season and how good this episode was compared to last season? It really reassured me. I had a really good feeling coming out of out of it. So I think that's why I picked Spyfall. But, yeah, it could have been easy, just as easily the future Jadoon and Timeless Children. Now, Dom, was that a whoa moment or was that an oh moment? That was a whoa, oh, whoa moment. <laughs> <laughs> so that leaves us with a few other individual episodes we haven't mentioned. Nic- mm-hmm. uh, Nikola Tesla's Night of Terror, I thought was just kind of middling. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I liked Nic- uh, Nikola Tesla and Thomas Edison, but it was just kind of a middling episode. Then we had Can You Hear Me, the uh, the nightmare episode with Zelen and Storm. Mm-hmm. And uh, that was another just kind of midland episode. Uh, and I and it had a particularly weak ending because we had that nine minute after school special about mental health at the end that had not been properly set up in the uh, in the previous 40 minutes. Right. I agree with that. The, the yep. Can You Hear Me had a lot of potential. There was some very interesting mythology going on in there. Uh, but, yeah, that that it was a very weak ending. I get more preaching. Uh, that just didn't connect. And that was that was, I think, undermined it. I think the tragedy with stuff like that is they could have told the, they did all so many times we say they could have told those stories better and told the yeah. same message better. But they didn't. Yeah. Yeah. And in Can You Hear Me, they the mythology stuff, which was the interesting part of the episode, they shortchanged in order to get to their message at the end and dwell on the message. They if they had made and they could have set it up for mental health better than they did. But what they needed to do was take the whole episode and devote it to that or even better, do a two parter. Mm. Where we end on a cliffhanger with Zelen and and Storm really in charge of, OK, it's nightmare Earth forever now. How do we get out of this? Right. And really explore that concept. With Tesla, I'm going back to an old my old stomping grounds on this one. I think it would have been better as a pure historical because Nikola Tesla is interesting in and of himself without having to make this yes. completely implausible idea that aliens need Nikola Tesla to fix their technology for them. Yeah. Uh, I just, uh, the aliens were, were lame 
And I, I think Tesla versus Edison would have been a great story for the doctor to kind of get mixed up in, in the middle of it just a, in the real history. You and you could have even if you want to juice it up, you could have had uh, Tesla and Edison inventing stuff that they didn't in real life to add some more science fictiony elements. And then maybe at the end of the story, they both conclude we need to dial this back a bit. Right. Right. Yeah. That would have been that made it a better. I like the idea of Tesla. I like the guy who acted as Tesla. So that was good. But uh, I agree. And and that three part season finale just as really uh, the, I think the season ended on a real high note there. And I, I, so I absolutely. So let's talk about what do you think of uh, how Jodie Whittaker did this season as the doctor, uh, her portrayal. Of, we kind of touched on it a little bit, but uh, what do you th- what do you think of her portrayal of the doctor? How successful was it, uh, Father Corey? Well, you know, like I said, when I talk about the season as a whole, she really felt it's felt to me like she was more comfortable in the skin of the doctor. Uh, she was she was more assertive, but she still had that alien awkwardness, like that scene where where Graham was telling about his, you know, his concerns about the cancer coming back. She's like, I should say something comforting right now, but I can't think of it. So I'm going to walk over here and do something on the council and maybe it'll come <laughs> to me, you know, that right. kind of thing. You know, still very awkward, uh, brought out more of the humor of, of the character, but also brought out that aggressive side of the doctor. You know, he's definitely saw that again in the three parter where she got very aggressive with the companions. Mm. But, so uh, I, I really think it really fleshed out the character much more, made it, you know, more interesting of a character. I didn't know that I felt that Jodie Whittaker was more comfortable. I thought she was given better writing. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought she was given more to work with. And that includes the I'm not just trying to be everybody's pal stuff where she takes charge and shows determination and it it, it makes her much more interesting. And some of the social awkwardness, I can I can go with that. I liked the moment where Graham is is talking to her about his cancer that actually it got a bunch of pushback in England and they ended up making us the BBC ended up making a statement to try to defuse that saying no she's not being hideously insensitive here um, because that she was accused of being hideously insensitive but I took it you know as someone who has lost multiple family members to cancer I took it as um, this is just her being socially awkward and doing her best to cope with the situation I did think that other socially awkward doctors, I have a hard time imagining them uh, handling it in exactly the same way. I think Peter Capaldi could have, but I don't know that other recent doctors would have. One of the things I keep going back to, because I think they're trying, and this is not just true of Jody Whitaker's doctor, but they've tried to pattern other doctors after Patrick Troughton's, who was, you know, presented a bumbling face, but he was bumbling and sensitive emotionally in a way that Jodie Whittaker isn't. She's bumbling and insensitive, which is more of a Peter Capaldi's doctor trait. And it's one I don't like. Um, And it also leads to her doing this preachy stuff like about guns and weapons, which drops off by the end of the season. And I hope they leave it that way. Uh, I, when, when we see the doctor, instead of preaching about, oh, guns bad and weapons bad, when we see her actually using them because the situation requires it, um, it, 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 she's not irritating in the way she was before, because before it's like she, 
I, I don't have a problem with characters that don't use guns like Batman. You know, he's got a personal mm-hmm. gun ethic, but he's good enough. He doesn't need to use guns. He doesn't expect Gotham City police not to use guns and he doesn't preach to them about it. Um, so I, 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 I can I would be fine going forward with the doctor saying, look, um, in my experience, I haven't needed to use them. Don't want to brag, but I haven't found it necessary in most cases. So we're not going to use them unless it's a real emergency. But I'm also not going to preach to everybody else like you're morally inferior because you're not as clever as I am in figuring ways to avoid using guns. Uh, so from my point on the doctor's awkwardness, I, I feel like that there has been this the Chibnall really wants that he sees the, the, the fan base a particular way, that there are a lot of fans who are tend to be socially awkward, who and, and that's what they identify with in the doctor, the alienness, the. You know, so folks who are sometimes I said on the spectrum or just socially awkward, however you want to put it, and they've kind of played that up with Jody's doctor. Uh, they make her a little more vulnerable, a little more uh, approachable than certainly than Capaldi. Uh, I think by by the end of the season, though, the, I really like how the doctor has evolved a bit, and I'm very curious to see where she's going to go in the next season. Given the things that have been revealed about her, does this free mm-hmm. her up some? Does this does this it going to con- cause her continued angst? Uh, this this lack of knowing, and certainly given the destruction of Gallifrey, which has not been reversed, uh, what what does this do for her? Uh, so seeing her as at the end of the season, very different than she was at the beginning, and I'm, I'm very curious to see where that goes. Um. So let's let's talk, go through the companions and uh, and talk a little about the companion and the actor. So we could we could com- combine our comments. Um, and I want to start with my favorite, which is uh, Graham, played by Bradley Walsh. How do you guys think? Hey, uh, hey, he he's not your favorite. He's my favorite. No, 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 no. He's mine. I picked him first. <laughs> as as the as the one who's uh, uh, leading this discussion, I'm going to ch- choose him first. So uh, the, I, I have him on the draft. No. Uh, so, uh, Jimmy, what do you what do you want to uh, say about how Graham and slash Bradley Walsh did this season? I think I think Graham was not given as much to do this season. He didn't shine for me the way he did last season. Um, I, and I don't think that's uh, the actor's fault. I think he just wasn't given as much to work with. Um, and he wasn't in particular given as much humor. That's one of the nice things about Graham's character is he brings more humor into these situations. And I think they were trying to put more of a focus on Ryan and Yaz and Graham's character suffered as a result. That was a criticism of last season was that uh, Yaz didn't get as much focus as Graham and Ryan. And I think they there's only so much time. And I think, yeah, you're right that they they took they took that time from Graham and gave it to Yaz a bit in this season. Well, I mean, I, I think he did when he was on scene. I, I I wrote down, you know, that when he's if he's on scene, there's going to be a great one liner coming soon. You know, and he did a he did a good job. Uh, the actor, obviously, Bradley Walsh did a good job of using the time that he had to flesh out the character a little more. I, I think it did help, though, that Graham was so well developed last season that this season he was more familiar. So mm-hmm. maybe he didn't need as much time on screen. He had some great, great one-liners, though. He had some great humorous moments that, um, you know, that really fit the character well. And so, yeah, he very much uh, uh, 
my favorite character. I, I think, you know, if, if there is to be one of the companions leaving uh, before next season, I hope it's not him. Let's just put it that way. Okay. Uh, what do we think about uh, Yaz and uh, played by Mandip Gill? And because she got a lot of, a lot more of the, the, the focus this season. Uh, what do we think about th- that companion and the actress? Uh, Father Corey? I, they did try to develop her more. I still think there's more potential there. Uh, it, it's kind of sad where they had that whole scene about how she's this great go getter person. And then it's like, when did we see that all, all season? Oh, yeah, yeah. The next scene, you know, right. the scene after he says that, that we see her do this, you know, and it, it just it's like they they tried to make her more the go getter, take charge, take command. Saw a little bit of that during the season, and it wasn't like until the very end where she's the first to charge into the portal to Gallifrey. Right. And we do see her um, in Can You Hear Me, where she gets more depth to her backstory. Uh, but again, as we had discussed, it was it felt a little bit bolted on. Uh, but we do find a little bit more about her. Also, all we found out was she's an angsty teenager. It's like, <laughs> OK, that's everybody's backstory. <laughs> right. <laughs> this is true. Uh, although uh, we, we see why she ended up becoming a police officer was this inspiration from this this police officer who helped her as a teen. Not a, that's not a lot to work work with. I, 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 I grant that. But yeah, um, Jimmy. So what do you think of Yaz in general this season? I thought I thought I thought they gave the actress more to work with, um, and that's good. I did not like the the speech that Father Corey alludes to, where Graham is just fawning over her and telling her how great she is when we haven't been shown that. I don't need this speech. Show me Yaz being great, and I'll be happy, and we can skip the speech. Right. Um, all right, and then uh, Ryan Tosin Cole, Ryan, who was the first companion that we really got introduced to last season. Uh, who got mm-hmm. a lot more of the focus in in several episodes, and uh, his his uh, learning disability that we and his physical disability too that he had, um, mm-hmm. which maybe not as much focus on that this season. Uh, what do you think of how Ryan's character, Ryan the character, and Tosin Cole the actor did this season? Um, I can't, I, I haven't seen this actor in other contexts, so I, I don't know how Tosin Cole normally does, but I don't like Ryan as a character because the way he's written, he always mopes and he, he never gets to experience, I mean, for a brief moment in the timeless children, he gets a, tr- a moment of triumph where, and that's just over the top macho strutting, you know, it's like, yeah, use my basketball skills to kill Cybermen. <laughs> um, I I want to see characters that are having, you know, uh, a good time. And Ryan, whenever he gets dialogue, he's mopey and complaining. And I just he's a wet rag as a character. I agree with a lot of that. You know, I, I put down he's the weakest companion. Um, he seems like he's in the background too often. I, I want to like him. You know, some of the scenes where he has, I, I can't yeah. lie, I, you know, some of the scenes where he's, he's had those, those successes with the basket bomb. And I'm going to start calling it that. The basket <laughs> oh, that's bomb. nice. I, that, I like that. Um, yeah. Where he had those successes, you know, you, you see him as a character who, who could be fun, enjoyable, you know, exciting. And he's just kind of sits in the background. Like you said, Jimmy kind of sits there and mopes. Yeah, it's it's I want to like him, too. I don't hate him. I mean, he's not I even wanted to like Adric, but it's really hard. Um, but Boy, that, 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 that's a work of mercy right there. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But, but but they just don't give him positive stuff. 
And it he's written, I think partly, it, I mean, I think that this is another area where representation is hurting this show because they've given each one of the companions some cross they're carrying. In Ryan's case, it's his dour personality and his dyspraxia and learning. He's not the smartest guy. I don't know if he technically has a learning disability. I don't remember. Um, but he's played as the he's played as the least intelligent of the companions. Yaz, it, it turns out, had a emotionally rough teenagehood where she was apparently contemplating suicide. Graham has cancer in his past and is worrying about it coming back. And it feels like they're just throwing in these negative characteristics as crosses for the um, companions to have for people in the audience to relate to. And I don't need escapist fiction to have someone who's like me in, right. you know, in various ways. And it feels like they're ticking boxes here in a way they didn't with classic companions. The classic companions like Romana didn't have disabilities. Tegan didn't have disabilities. Except Sarah Jane. Sarah Jane. Well, the mouth, but that's a character trait. It's not a disability um, in the socially you know, classifiable sense. Uh, Sarah Jane didn't have disabilities. Leela didn't have disabilities. Jamie and Zoe didn't have disabilities. Susan, Ian and Barbara didn't have disabilities. Um, so it, it, you can have it compelling, well-crafted characters that aren't dealing with personal baggage and make them exciting, fun people to travel along with. Even in New Who, you know, Rose, uh, Donna, I mean, they, they all had yeah. history. But not like this. This is the the sign that you hang around their neck that identifies their particular cross that they're bearing. That's true. I think these companions more than most have been sort of stereotyped into this box that they that they lit that they live in. And Ryan, as you say, suffers for that. You know, there is talk that uh, you know Tosin Cole has got this role in this American TV show, which probably means he's leaving the show. Maybe and. You know, maybe for the best for for that character, because I just don't see, you know, he got uh, Ryan got uh, a little bit of a love interest moment in Orphan 55. Who that, turns out to be a murderer. Right. Yep. Which, again, you know, nothing, <laughs> nothing good happens with that. And, and other than that, I mean, he and, you know, that a little bit of what happens in the finale, Ryan is just in some ways along for the ride in, in, in much of this. And that just it, it, it doesn't. That's not good for the character at all. I, I, it's sort of disappointing. So I agree. I think he, he wasn't done well. Unfortunately, the rumor also is that Graham is leaving. And so, yeah, yeah, that'll be a loss yeah. if it happens. Yep. Uh, let's talk about the master because the master always loves when we talk about him. Uh, the, let's talk about the master as O and Sasha Dewan. Uh, what did you think of the master this season, uh, Father Corey? I think the phrase is chewing up the scenery. <laughs> yes. in I a mean, good way he was, yeah and in a good way because he was he was manic but not to the level of john sim in, in my opinion i don't think he was quite to that level because mm -hmm. he had just enough control that he played along with the doctor in spyfall until that moment where she goes oh <laughs> yeah. you know he had mm -hmm. just enough control to do it you know to, and that that's the master where he can control himself until and then he just explodes you know, and yeah, I was going to say, and, and he's a real he's a real foil for the doctor. He's he's yeah. capable enough. Yeah. You know, so I, I, I thought he was a 
I thought he was a great choice. I thought they he played him very well. And and by the way, speaking of O, you know, Picard has Commodore O. Mm, yes. Yeah, no. I mentioned that in a recent episode. Yeah, what is it with the O's? <laughs> no, I, I I thought he would, I thought that was, he's a great choice for the master. I, I can't wait to see more from him because he, he he's he's a good one. Uh, I really loved Sasha Dewan's portrayal of the master. I loved his performance. I loved the way he was written. I thought it was great. I really liked the fact we got to meet him before suspecting he was the master and like him before he was the master. Um, I mean, before he was revealed, uh, I, I, I like his performance of the master. It feels different from other masters, but also similar. What I would like to see more of with him in the future is because after he's revealed, he's, he, he's clearly still having fun with being a villain and that's important for the master, but he doesn't have the niceness that he did when he was portraying himself as O. And and one of the things I love about the master is sometimes the master can work together with the doctor and sometimes the master can be reasonable. Uh, even if the master is, you know, like the scorpion who's going to sting you in the end, he do, he's not in that mode all the time. And so going all the way back to Roger Delgado's master, the original, he could work with the doctor. And it was clear they were friends. Um, then as we move forward, uh, we have, you know, um, uh, um, Anthony Ainley's master occasionally working with the doctor. We had uh, Missy were not only working with the doctor, but being positively rehabilitated. Mm-hmm. And I want to see the, I want to see more of O in the master's personality. I don't want him to just be. Ha ha, doctor, it's revenge time. Right. You know, I, I'd like to see him being being more, you know, showing the good side of the master more. They certainly really doubled down on the master as self-destructive and sort of uncaring whether, you know, in some case, some ways, not really caring if he lives or dies through a thing. But if he's going to live, mm-hmm. he's going to do it dastardly. They had they had a tough climb or tough. They had a tough challenge following Missy. Missy was so very popular. Uh, such yeah. a great master that they it was I think it was very dangerous, very dangerous ground to bring back the master after that. I think it was this, it was a resounding success. I, I do obviously want to see this at Sasha Dewan come back as the master. And I want to see how that how that plays out, how the master may have changed. My guess is, given how they've written him so far, he's not going to change much. It's not they're not going to dial it back any. And uh, that would be a limitation in the writing. Yeah. Uh, One of the things Big Finish has found and has been very successful with is if you're going to write stories about the master, you need that um, ability to sympathize with the master. And we don't have much of it with the current mode of Sasha Dewan's master. Um, you need to be able to, in, in, in order to like write stories about the master. And I want my Sasha Dewan box set from Big Finish. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, but when they get around to that, it's going to have to be you can sympathize with the master for most of the story. And but then there's going to be he does something bad. And and I and I that's the that's the right way to write this character. 
Um, and I think the show should should emulate that writing style with the master. I think it, that it makes the, the master more sinister and villainous when he but when he gets you to like him and then turns the tables on you yet again, which is what exactly. he does to the doctor. If he's mustache twirling all the time, yeah, he's less interesting as a character. Right. Well, well, and then you you then you get kind of the the, the turn again when they're in the uh, matrix, and you can almost see the pain of the master having to face uh, these issues that he found with the doctor and the timeless child and all that. That it it's it's not just uh evil twirling, twirling villain, but that this is actually causing him emotional pain. Right. Going through these learning all this stuff about the Time Lords and where they came from and everything, you know, where that's another little twist that they threw into the character. Now, speaking of the master, you know, he ostensibly dies at the end of this episode. And by the way, notice they didn't give us any explanation of how he came back after Missy because she was apparently dead and not regenerating the way they set that up. Um, and I don't, and some fans have said, oh, maybe Sasha Dewan's master is therefore earlier than the Missy and John Sims masters. But it's like, no, you don't need to headcanon this. The master just comes back. He just right. always comes all the back. Time. Yes. Don't worry about how it happens. So even though he died, he's certainly coming back. What I want to know is, will the cyber masters come back with him? Hmm. Because they, they introduce this concept and they really build it up. You know, these regenerating Cybermen, as that's a huge threat, we don't get to see that threat in action in this episode. And part of the writer in me says they sh they really should not just throw that to one side. The problem is that how do we then explain with when they use the death particle, how do we explain the Cyber Lords coming back? I understand how the Master can come back because he's the Master, but... Will the cyber lords come back? And if so, how do you defeat them? Because you've already used the only obvious weapon to take them out, which right. is something that kills all organic, destroys all organic matter. Well, let's start looking forward and in, in doing a little prediction and talking about the direction of the show. What do you think? Does Gallifrey come back is, or is, is Gallifrey and the Time Lords dead, 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 never coming back dead? What do you I mean? never say never. <laughs> never say yeah. I mean, we we pretty much figured that Gallifrey was dead when they rebooted the series in 2005. They made it clear Gallifrey was dead when they rebooted the series in 2005. And guess what? Gallifrey came back. Right. Yeah. So yeah. it it'll come back some way somehow. They'll figure some retcon loophole somewhere yeah. to get it. Time back. can be re time can be rewritten. All someone with a TARDIS has to do is go back and stop the master from killing everyone. Right. Yeah. I mean, which maybe I mean that that just yeah. one way off the top of my head. There's right. there's so, so it's yeah. Let's let's not let's not assume that Gallifrey's gone forever. It might be gone for a season or two, but it's it'll be back. And it, it may be gone for the rest of Chris Chibnall's run if he yeah. just doesn't like the concept. But um, but it'll be back in the future at some point. And it may be the way that they uh, that they also kill the Cyber Lords if they ever come back as well by rewriting. The history. Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, you yeah. could also do a, like a new Gallifrey or something where, yeah, mm -hmm. this planet Gallifrey is gone, but some Time Lords were off planet and we, now we have new Gallifrey. Yeah, you know. it, true. And I also I really like your suggestion, Dom. That is another way to, mm -hmm. to defeat the cyber cyber masters or cyber lords. And that would be an emotionally satisfying payoff. Right. We ramp up. We see these this regenerating army. 
we are struggling to deal with it. The only way to deal with it turns out to be go back in time, just like sending the Siberian back in time to change history. So we go back in time. We stop the fall of Gallifrey. The cyber lords are therefore, therefore never come into existence. Time is rewritten and Gallifrey is back. That would be a satisfying payoff. Mm, yeah, absolutely. Oh, we'll see. We'll see. Uh, so what do you guys think of the direction of this show as it's going now at the end of this season? Uh, where you know, where Chibnall is taking this and what we can expect or what do you think we should expect going forward on this? Father Corey? I think it's on a positive track. I mean, I think if they keep going at this level, it's going to it's going to get good. Um, it'll be interesting to see how they play out the issue of the timeless child going forward that the doctor really isn't a time Lord in the traditional sense, you know, a member of that Winnebago race or whatever the, uh, <laughs> the Sheboygans, whatever the name, Sheboygans <laughs> yeah. uh, isn't a part of that race, but it's, it'll be interesting to see if they play with it at all. I mean, I could also see them just basically kind of just leaving it sit out back there. Will Dr. Ruth come back? Will we see her again? Mm. Um, so I, I think there's there's a lot of potential. The question is going to be what's going to happen with the the companions. I'm sorry, I still can't call them the fam. They're companions. <laughs> They're companions. Um, they, uh, you know, is you know, is Ryan coming back? Is Graham coming back? Is yes coming back? I could see all three companions leaving. I mean, there, there's nothing to say that won't happen. Yeah, so, they will be back for the Christmas special, but beyond that is right. the question. Exactly. Mm. So I mean, I think there's a lot of open. There, it'll be it'll be interesting to see how they go forward. Uh, we do know, obviously, that Jodie Whittaker is coming back for season 13. So we know she'll be back for sure. Uh, but there's I, I mean, I think if they can continue on this track, I think we're, we're in for another good season next year. How about you, Jimmy? I think that um, that obvi- I, obviously I think that the series has in a good direction. And I think it bodes well for next season because Chris Chibnall had a master plan that he told to to the BBC when he became showrunner. (laughs) Well, yeah. Um, And so the first act was, let's get to know the new doctor, but everything is is new. So that's how we build audience. Mm -hmm. The second act is now we pull the trigger. We have the rising action. We find the doctor's history is not what she thought. And that the logics of, of dramatics then tell us that the next season should be uh, climax or rising action. Uh, I mean, it may or may not include the climax of the arc, but it should be rising action in the arc at least. So we should have more interaction on these questions next season. If you just let them drop, then it's kind of what was the point of that? So hopefully Dr. Ruth will be back. And also, I want my Dr. Ruth box set. <laughs> yes. Um, because yes. We, I almost mentioned this earlier uh, in talking about how did the actress playing the doctor do? We need to talk about the other actress playing the doctor. She did awesome. Yes. She was yes, a she more did. interesting doctor than Jodie Whittaker. I want more of her. <laughs> right. um, so uh, so I, I, I really hope Dr. Ruth will be back. Um, I think it would be a mistake in the writing to just drop her. We may also get to see other incarnations of the doctor down the line. Um, and by the way, speaking of incarnations, I did a count based on everything they showed us in the previous, um, in, in the timeless children. And by the way, what is up with the plural timeless children? There's only one timeless child by the end of that episode. 
Mm, um, that's true. They didn't establish anyone else as a timeless child. But I counted the regenerations, uh, and there have been 31 regenerations they've now shown us on screen, uh, 15 of which have been chronicled on the show, starting with uh, William Hartnell. But mm. uh, I, I want to see what happens. The dramatics require more explanation of this. We also... Uh, require basically requires seeing the Cyberlords again, even though that means Kosharmas failed in his mission to kill them for reasons. Um, and so I'm interested to see what happens. But as always with Chris Chibnall, I'm apprehensive. <laughs> right, right. All right, let's um, let's move to the this part of the uh, show. We want to talk about feedback from listeners. We've got a lot of great feedback. Uh, on the last two episodes, and then um, something a little more general, some audio feedback I want to play for you. But let's start with uh, some feedback we got on uh, episode 166, The Ascension of the Cybermen. Uh, Emma Kroik on Facebook writes, uh, This episode wasn't actually the first time in New Who to, men to mention the Cybermen's aversion to gold. It was also a relatively small mention in the Matt Smith episode, Nightmare in Silver. Uh, Eleven has a golden ticket for the Hedgewick theme park and the cyber planner gets into the doctor's brain, so he temporarily stuns it by sticking the golden ticket to his face. So that's an implicit... Um, yeah, so that was good. That's a nice nice deep cut reference there, Emma. Thank you. Uh, Les Hammer on Facebook writes, the concept of Cybermen seems to be self-defeating. Unless uh, say they appear to not be able to reproduce, needing humans to make into new Cybermen, yet they're intent upon wiping out all humans. What do you think? I don't think it's ever been uh, established that Cybermen don't reproduce biologically. I think they just never go into that because it's a kid show. Mm. Okay. Yeah, that's a good well, point. And, and I mean, they may, they may like grow them in labs or something like the Borg did. Yeah. I mean, we, we've always seen Cybermen who are based off of humans, but that's not always a absolute necessity either. Right. And that the, the lone Cyberman was all along. He was going for destroy everything everywhere. So. Yeah, I mean, he seemed to be about annihilating everything, and he he didn't seem rational in that sense. So the the fact that they were wiping out all humans, I don't think that necessarily well, had he, to be a rational decision. Well, he wanted to turn the Cybermen into robots, anyways. So yeah. completely computer control, no biological whatsoever. So right, and to be fair to Les, his comment came before we found that out. So uh, I should point that out. Uh, Rob Cox on Facebook writes: If you watch Ocean's Eleven, they do that British wordplay, the the Cockney slang uh, that we saw uh, too. Uh, he quotes, unless we intend to do this job in Reno, we're in Barney. Everybody looks confused. Barney Rubble, still looking confused. Trouble! So so that's mm -hmm. in Ocean's Eleven. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I think in the remake Ocean's Eleven, not the original. Not uh, the original. Yeah. The uh, original, I think, was before the Flintstones. Oh, uh, yeah, probably. Yeah. <laughs> it certainly was contemporaneous with it at the latest. Yes. Yep. Uh, then on... Uh, the episode 167, The Timeless Children, Rick Angelini writes on Facebook, so does the ending of the season finale make the Captain Jack, Jack Harkness appearance irrelevant? He had a single warning for the Doctor that seems to have played to its conclusion. You know, the, that don't give the cyber, the lone cyberman what he wants. Well, he got what he wanted. So it sort of made Jack's whole contribution useless. What do you think? Pretty much. <laughs> I mean, the Jack obviously tried it, but it didn't work. I I think it depends on what you mean by irrelevant. That was always a Cassandra warning. Cassandra was a Greek or a prophetess in Greek mythology who would make predictions, but she was like cursed. People wouldn't believe her. 
And so you have a regular trope in fiction as a way of building drama. Somebody prophecies the thing that must not happen, and then it happens anyway. And so I, I always took this as a that's a Cassandra warning. You know, the the lone Cyberman, whoever that is, is very likely to get what he wants. This is just to raise the significance of it when it happens. So we know there will be consequences if you give it what it wants that it will be really bad. So from that perspective, I don't I don't think it was irrelevant. But is it irrelevant in the sense of the Cyberman got what he wanted? Oh, yeah, it is in that sense. What do you guys think of the the inclusion of Jack this season in that episode? It, it, stunt casting, you know, stunt cameo. I think a little bit of that because then they could play up the fact, oh, he's coming back. You know, John Barrowman's coming back, and Goose they can the make ratings a, big deal out of it. Yeah, you know, it it it's also a fake out um, because they had wanted to advertise that there is a big twist in Fugitive of the June, but mm-hmm. they didn't want to let the public know what the big twist was. And, you know, that way you get more viewers on on that episode if they if they know there's a twist coming, but you don't want them to see the twist coming once they start watching. So you include a fake out early. It's like when in start in Star Trek two, Spock apparently dies in a simulation at the beginning of the episode. So that would take care of all the rumors. Oh, Spock is going to die in this. And then, oh, it was just in a simulation. And then, no, for reals, he dies later. In the same way, he's like, ooh, big twist coming. Hey, here's Jack. And then, oh, wait, that wasn't the big twist. So right. I think it was That's misdirection. True. Now, I, I do want to I do want to say how come how do why do I have a feeling that when Captain Jack returns next season, as, as we've been told, he will. He will be back next season. It, he's first of all going to hit on the doctor and then say, why didn't you listen to me? <laughs> right, right. That's probably how that how he will be introduced. Um, Amy Flowers writes on Facebook, I was rather pleased to hear Jimmy mention comic books. I've made that comparison between this latest Doctor Who development and comics constant rebooting. It felt good to be thinking along the same lines. And I'm with Jimmy too. I would like the full, the big finish Ruth Doctor dramas, please and thank you. But we, we just already mentioned that. But uh, yeah. Uh, but yeah, the Doctor Who is like a comic book. It's it, constantly rebooting, constantly bringing things back to a beginning and restarting without a whole lot of concern for the, the overall historic canon for things. So, yeah. Yeah. And it's not, it's not like, you know, when, when comic book readers are used to things, even if they don't like what's happening with Batman now, they don't go, Oh, Batman is ruined forever. Batman is dead. And it's like, no, wait, if wait five years, it'll be fine. <laughs> right. And besides they already did that with Superman. Yes. Superman is dead. Yeah. Uh, Brian Roberts writes on Facebook as someone not from Yorkshire, but having lived in Sheffield for 23 years, Yaz is saying her comment is a love letter, uh, where she had that understated comment, uh, rings completely true. If someone from Yorkshire said I wasn't a completely terrible human being, I'd worry they were about to make a pass at me. <laughs> <laughs> That's great, Brian. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, I really do appreciate that. And I'm not making a pass at you. Uh uh, also, again, from Les Hammer, who writes on uh, our Facebook page, I mean, sorry, on our website at sqpn.com, uh, asked, what if the master was Tekteyun, the Sheboygan, uh, who was the, the adoptive parent of the timeless child? Uh, then killing the timeless child to force regeneration would be consistent with the master's character. What do you think? The master is Tekteyun? That would be an interesting twist. It'd be an interesting twist, but I think they would have revealed that if so. Yeah, it would have been hard to. Justify, because then the master would know all the stuff that was lost. 
Yeah. The master also, although, so let's think about this for a second. He would have, on the, on the one hand, you might say, okay, well, if he was Tech Tayun, it would undercut the anguish he feels at having part of the doctor in him because... Right because um, he, did it he was the one who put that part in him. <laughs> yeah. But if he's been mind wiped also, that can flip. It could be, there could be a deeper thing there for his rage. It's like, I did this to myself and I didn't even know it. And I hate mm. it now. I regret that decision. So that's an interesting thing. By the way, another possibility that some have pointed out uh, that, that the ending of this season may relate to is the hybrid from uh, a couple of seasons ago, the right. Peter Capaldi thing. The hybrid was a, a prophecy that there would be a hybrid between two warrior races who would stand on the surface of Gallifrey and break a billion hearts while trying to heal its own. And and they threw out a number of possibilities for what the hybrid could be, but this sets up another one. Um, mm -hmm. The master... Okay, the Califreans are a warrior race. The Cybermen are a warrior race. The Master is now a hybrid Galilean with cyber technology in him. And he's clearly got a broken heart that he's trying to heal. And if he uses his cyber army, he could be uh, he could be uh, uh, breaking a, a billion others. And notice he's standing on the ruins of Gallifrey. Mm, interesting. That's that's because be yeah, that was never definitively. That loop was never definitively closed on that on the hybrid. Uh, Arvis Conti writes on YouTube: If the Doctor was a foundling, then the Doctor may not be the last of its kind. Walking through that vortex to the other dimension could contain worlds of Doctors. The, oh, mas yeah. the Master is the last of his kind, as there are no more Gallifreyans. Uh, so, and he says, "Sorry, Jimmy. Tectoon definitely killed the Doctor multiple times to unlock the secret of regeneration. If Tectoon was willing to take her own life for her theories." She'd be willing to take the doctors. Yeah, I'm not saying she didn't. I'm just saying it's really dark. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. it is. It is. Yeah, yeah I, I think that's something interesting. I didn't even think about that for next season. They could explore of, so where is the doctor's real family? Yeah. Real where, home. Where's the real fam? The, I'm sure that'll be addressed eventually. I don't know it'll be addressed in, in, um, in Chris Chibnall's time, because I think what he's trying to do is reset the status quo prime. Where um, where the show is now on the same footing as it was in the beginning. We don't know who the doctor's people is. Right. Uh, she's just a traveler in time and space. Yeah, maybe in e-space. Uh, I'm just talking out of nothing. I don't know anything about that that part of this. That's <laughs> <laughs> I only know the term. Um, Wait, and she's then, actually Adric. No. Ah! <laughs> so nothing uh, good comes from e-space. I think uh, Nathaniel said that in the Gospel of John. <laughs> so uh and then Darvis Cuddy finishes by saying there were definitely highs and lows this season and within this episode, but I think it was a good end of the season. Dom, Jimmy, and Father Corey, thank you for another series. I look forward to the off season podcast, especially the classic who, which I have little knowledge of. Uh we are Our looking pleasure. forward to that as well. We think you will enjoy it. Uh we, we certainly have. And then Peter Saxby on Facebook writes, It was a good series of Doctor Who, just not an epic one. The doc this doctor seems like she's still learning about being the doctor, like when the first regenerated, confused and not sure of herself and doesn't have the screen presence of the previous doctors. Capaldi, Tennant, and Smith all had better lines, including incredibly powerful speeches, hoping for a more confident and inspiring doctor in the next series. Yeah, uh, Moffat had a tendency to write these big, grandiose speeches. That was a characteristic for his time uh, writing the doctor, that's for sure. 
Um, what do you think? Is uh, is that something that's missing from this doctor? The the big speechifying. All I can think of is The Incredibles. You got me monologuing. <laughs> that's right. I, I, that was never one of my favorite things is when the doctor, because that, that's then where you get, you know, Time Lord victorious and all that stuff coming out. Uh, then we have one last bit of audio feedback from our friend Matt from Ithaca. And uh, so let me play that for you now. Hello, gentlemen. I hope you've enjoyed this newest series of Doctor Who. Unfortunately, I have not. However, that's not because I thought the episodes were especially bad. I have no opinion at all, really. I simply haven't been able to watch them. I'm participating in the Exodus 90 program this winter. And as you may know, among its several disciplines is a total ban on watching movies or TV. So I was able to see Spyfall, both parts, before my 90 days started. But nothing since then. Not a preview, not a review, not a rating. It's all a bit of a mystery. It does, however, give me one more reason to look forward to the arrival of Easter this year. So anyway, I've got a challenge for you. I hoped you might be willing to give me a few spoiler-free hints about what to expect when I finally do start watching the new series. If you could each summarize the past ten episodes in one word... Not a single word. Just six. Six words. Six. Okay, six words. What would they be? Thanks, and I hope to hear your answers 37 days from now. Happy Easter in advance. All right, so uh, the challenge for Matt is sum up this season in six words... Uh, Jimmy, do you, do you do you want to go first? I already, yeah, sure. I already sent my uh, non six my six non spoiler words because he asked for non spoiler words. Uh, I sent him to him, and he he wrote back, and I, I gave him the option. I gave him non spoiler space in case he didn't want to read the non spoiler words. So he had to scroll down to read them, but he did, and he wrote back and said thank you. My six words were: they confirmed my head cannon. Sweet, <laughs> Father Corey. Do you have six words? Oh, I, I've been struggling with this one. I really can't come up with six words for it. So I, I'm sorry, Matt. I'm gonna have to punt on this one. Okay. Well, I'll I'll give you two for for to fo- cover Father Corey. My first one was, "Wow, this changes everything we thought." And then my my finally decided was, "Who is the first Doctor now?" That's a bit of a spoiler one, but Matt, I'm yeah, guessing you're listening to this episode, one, but yeah. not much. <laughs> uh, th- this. Uh, you're listening to this after having watched the whole season. So hopefully that didn't spoil anything there. So, all right. Well, thank you all for that great feedback. We really do appreciate that. And uh, we, we've had some great uh, feedback throughout this season. And we're, we're so glad to have you engaged in this conversation with us. So any final thoughts on uh, your, this season 12 wrap up that we're doing here, Father Corey? Um, not, not really. It just, Again, you know, I think this was a very much a high point in recent seasons. So this that, that that's that's a good thing. You know, there's I think there are a lot of people who did express a lot of uh, disappointment in last season, and that hurt hurt this the series. And I think this uh, is a good trend. But we'll see where it goes forward. Jimmy, I'm engaged again and looking forward to seeing what they do next. Awesome. All right, so we do want to take a moment as we finish up to thank our patrons who make it possible for us to create the Secrets of Doctor Who, including Michael M., Derek V., Carl K., Thomas A., and Daniel Z. Their generous donations at sqpn.com slash give make it possible for us to continue the Secrets of Doctor Who and all the shows at StarQuest. You can join them by visiting sqpn.com slash give. So that's it from us on Season 12, Series 12. What did you think of Series 12? You can let us know by commenting on the show at sqpn.com or at the Secrets of Doctor Who Facebook page. 
or send an email to Who at sqpn.com. And we'll be back next week when we'll be discussing the fifth Doctor story, Black Orchid. It's a good one, folks, so be sure to yes, stay subscribed and listen to that. Until then, Jimmy Aiken, thank you for joining me in sharing the secrets of Doctor Who. Thanks, Tom. And Father Corey Stika, thank you as well. Thank you, Dom. And once again, I'm Dom Bettinelli. Thank you for listening to The Secrets of Doctor Who on StarQuest. Right. This is going to be fun. <laughs>